Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Dijong, a culture writer and critic. And this week we're discussing Reservation Dogs and Rutherford Falls, two recent shows that present very different contemporary native stories. A very direct line of connection here. Yeah, we didn't I'm have to reach to say, this. No one. reaching. No reaching this, this week. Absolutely a, a cohesive <laughs> episode today. <laughs> absolutely. How's your week been, love? It, it's been okay. Um, a little bit busy doing some some extra work stuff, but also I I think I've been busier because I've been reading a little bit more lately, <gasps> which Look is nice. Um, still mostly just like novels. I've been on oh, a yeah. really big like reading rut for I would say over a year yeah. <laughs> for some reason. But yeah, I. I got this advice to just like get into a fantasy. And so I did that. Mm. And I read, um, Piranesi by Susanna Clark, which is mm. a very, very good book. It definitely worked. And then now I'm like getting full on back into like Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy just because. Oh shit. Yeah. I've been wanting to, to reread this since the, uh, HBO shows came out. So yeah, very absorbed in all these, uh, fantastical happenings and i'm glad it feels nice to read again i uh actually need to read his dark materials period because i i never i never ended up reading them when i was a kid but yeah very exciting i do think the part of the reason why you were hesitant is is probably because it's like another thing to do it definitely um, is uh, but then you start doing it and you I think a bunch of people have been talking about how much we used to get engrossed into books as kids. Yeah. Where it, where it would be like all we would do. Cause like I personally wasn't allowed that much TV mm-hmm. growing up. It's been nice to kind of tap back into that part of our inner children is, yeah. is the main reason. The only thing is like now, I mean, it hurts when I read until like 3 a.m. and then wake up the next day for work. I cannot, yeah. I cannot swing this kind of uh, sleep schedule no. anymore. Like no, no, ten no. years ago, even. I know, I know. I have also been reading as well. I guess my escapism is more books set in the past, like a hundred years in the past. Oh, like so, a little bit historical. Yeah. So I've been on like a Kazuo Ishiguro tip. Ooh, yeah. I I read Remains of the Day back when I was in London, but that now I've been. Um, I just finished. When we were orphans, which is also set in like the twenties and thirties, mm-hmm. it's always nice when at the end of the week you see that your uh, screen time has gone down. Yeah, um, that's because a big you've been thing. reading. Um, um, so, what's up in your life, Pellin, uh, besides reading? Well, I am going to be going to Chicago tomorrow to visit my in-laws, and I'm excited to see their Shiba Inu. They have they have like a little pooch. Um, he's a, he's a bit of a little shit. I will say, Shuba Inus <laughs> are known to be like the most cat-like out of all the yeah. dogs. Mm-hmm. So they're not very affectionate. But they're um, so beautiful. They are very beautiful. When they first got him was when Andrew and I first not even started dating. We got like serious essentially. So it was the first time I'd gone to visit my then um, boyfriend's in-laws. Mm-hmm. And um, the first night that I was there, he tr- he they didn't realize that you can't leave him off a leash. Kashiba Inus will just run for it, no matter what, or no matter how long <laughs> they've known their owners, they don't give a shit. So he made a run for it in the middle of like the suburbs, <laughs> and oh. then we, it was like a wild goose chase of us trying to like get this get this dog back. Um, so we have a bit of a history, Touchy and me. Um, <laughs> it was a, it was a great bonding session. I'm excited for that though. That's pretty much what's been going on over here. But I've been I'm reading too. It's been good. 
Yeah. TV-wise, what did you watch this week, Melon? So I started watching Reservation Dogs. You can find this. It's FX on Hulu. So if you have a Hulu subscription, you will um, have the honor of being able to watch this. This is created by Serlin Harjo and Taika Waititi. It's something that was on my radar because of the Taika Waititi EP um, credit. And I like to watch pretty much everything that that guy does. And um, this is... I guess it's a half an hour comedy. It's almost half an hour. Some of the episodes clock in at 25 minutes, 26 minutes. But it's a comedy that's about a group of adolescent native teens in rural Oklahoma. And they're basically saving up money to escape to California. A year ago, one of their friends died. We don't know how. It was his idea to, to go to California. And they're, they're basically keeping that dream alive. And they get their money by... Hustling, little schemes, stealing trucks. You know, the first episode opens with them stealing a, a hot chip truck. <laughs> and that's kind of, that's kind of the vibe. The first two episodes were released at once and then it's been a week to week release since. So I've just been clocking in every Monday and, and watching it. Yeah. And so we're four episodes in right now, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. We are, we're about, we just got the fourth one done and the fifth one is going to be out by the time this episode is out. So mm-hmm. we essentially each episode, we see them kind of meandering about and eventually at some point they venture into a small quest to essentially complete an action item that we know that they're going to do at the, at the first five minutes of the episode they have like some kind of beef with another rival <laughs> rival group of teens they call they call themselves like gangs and and they are you know the titular reservation dogs but there's like another teen gang that they're like beefing with um we're not sure how that's going to end up but it's it's essentially a cast of characters. It's like a ragtag team of teens who are Bear, played by DeFero Wunatai, Elora, played by Devery Jacobs, Willie Jack, my personal favorite, <laughs> played by Paulina Alexis, and Cheese, played by Lane Factor. So what are your thoughts on this, Jenny? So I actually quite like it so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we might have different opinions on some of the stuff, but yeah, yeah. I I really am into it. I love the characters so far. I love the setting that they're in that we don't really see that often and the the spirit of like restlessness and and sort of feeling like trapped in an, in, an, in the middle of nowhere that imbues like every bit of this uh show so far because mm. it, it's so reminiscent of how a lot of small town places or or suburbia or places in in America like this can feel. Um yeah. so I think they are pulling that off really well. Um but yeah, mostly I just I like this. I like these kids. I like their humor. I like their friendship and, you know, sort of fraught relationships with each other. And I, I like spending time with them. Yeah, I, I like it for the most part. I think, like Jenny mentioned, I do have some qualms with it, which we'll get into it. But up top, you know, the humor is classic YTT. I think Sterling Harjo was a part of a comedy group as well. So I, I'm not familiar with his work. So I, I'm not sure, but it's goofy. It's like, you know, there's points where Bear has like visions of a spirit guide that's played by like Dallas Goldteeth, who's really, really funny. And uh, there's two rappers, uh, Mose and Mecco, who are played by real life ra- rappers Lil Mike and Funny Bone, that just kind of pop up every now and again to to give us jokes. Um, and, you know, the strength of this show is the way it's kind of proactively decentering whiteness by omission. Uh, there is really no focus on any white characters at all. This is a completely native production, as far as I've uh, read online. The writer's room is completely native. 
the production, the behind the scenes, behind the camera production is pretty much native. It was set in Oklahoma, which is true to, I think, where Sterling Harjo is from as well. And my favorite thing about it is honestly the way that it does not cater to an audience that doesn't know what the references are. So there are jokes, there are points of humor that like a native audience will be familiar with. And it doesn't stop to explain it. I love that. Like there's a, there's a point in, I think, episode four where they, the kids go to visit Elora's uncle and they arrive to his house and he has like owls hanging up and they blur out the eyes of the owl. Mm. And I, I've never heard of, I don't know what this means, but I understood, like I gauged from that, that looking into an owl's eyes is, is a bad omen. So you shouldn't Mm -hmm. do it. And I thought that was hilarious. Like, I think it's so good that it just doesn't, it's not catering to a white audience much like, you know, a lot of TV, a lot of, rep- a lot of like native representation has done in TV and film in the past. If it hasn't like romanticized it or if it hasn't like made it feel a little bit awkward or, or problematic. So it, I love that. I do like the kids. I like the meandering. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I'm not familiar with this, but. I, I've seen it, you know, and I think, did you ever watch Lodge 49? No. So Catherine Van Arendonk, in her review on Vulture, she she compared it to Lodge 49 as well. And I think in terms of the spirit of it, the meandering, the the pacing of it, it's very, very, very similar to that. And I think like the the feedback from this show has been very positive. I think most people really enjoy hanging out with this group of teens my experience has not been that positive. Um, you know, I text Jenny early, like a couple of days ago to be like, just a heads up. I'm probably going to be a Debbie Downer about this. I don't know if I like the pacing. I, I understand what it's trying to do. I understand like the aimlessness of being in a small town, being a teen. I understand what it's trying to do at the same time. I think the fact that 25 minute episodes feel very long to me as I'm watching it is a problem. The mission of each episode of the kids is a little bit too weak. Um, again, I understand that that's the most that they can do in their situation in their lives and they're trying their best. The obstacles really don't feel real enough for me to feel invested in. Not even real enough. I, I think they're real enough. It's just um, worthy of TV. Um, and it kind of seems like there's a bit of a withholding of information in terms of like why their friend died, the effect that that had, as well as I think the amount of in depth that we go into each character is a little bit weak. My favorite was the latest episode, so I will say it has been getting better week to week. But again, it, it still isn't quite hitting the mark for me, which kind of disappoints me. I think it's something that I've wanted to talk to you about for a minute, and it, it's got nothing to do with this show in general. But it's something that I have noticed a lot with some of the TV and film that has been coming out in the last couple of years, you know, deciding to ignore the white gaze is, I guess, only one part of the overall aim of what your show should be about. I, I know that this is a multi-layered show. I just don't think that the strengths are completely evened out. So I think there's it's one thing to decenter and and make sure that your production is representative of your community, but I think you should also be very very concerned about the story and is it entertaining and is it doing something or saying something that uh, from an episode to episode level is it really building into what it is that you actually want to say and 
I think overall, is it brave and commendable to be representative of your community? Absolutely. But is it enough? I don't think so. Okay, yeah. I think I would... I know, like, those... I guess, like, concerns that you have on, like, a, a larger hold, they are, in general, like, totally, we, we've talked about this, like, I, I agree that I don't really care for the idea of uh, representation as an ultimate goal or, you know, the, the highest achievement. Um, but I will, like, I guess I, in terms of this particular show, which we can, like, zoom back from this as well, mm. um, I guess I just, like, disagree for this show in particular, and mm. uh, we can... uh hash this out on air um, sure, yeah. <laughs> since as as listeners know we we often agree probably most of the time but there are times when we have different opinions which yeah. is totally fine yeah i i kind of see this as is almost drawing from like the the episodic well of like the you know the tv shows like it's always sunny or mm. you know they're they're kind of building up to maybe somewhat of a larger thing but it's so much more about like what happens within the span of each half hour and mm-hmm. how we see the characters interact with each other. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I will say like the, the slow drip of information can definitely leave the viewer with a little bit of like, who are these people? Like what, what are the stakes? What's going on? And yeah. I will say, I, I hope that they just do provide a little bit more context, you know, as we move further along. But yeah, I, I think overall, like the, the low stakes nature of it, uh, have, did you ever watch Napoleon Dynamite? No. Okay, that is like one of the, I guess, when, when did that come out? Like early aughts, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, That's like, I think, very much in a similar vein of like, small town malaise and like, restlessness and like, yeah. what are the stakes? Oh, like, getting a date to prom or like, oh, like, getting your uncle to teach you how to like, fight back against like, bullies or something where right. it's like, it doesn't, I guess like, ascend to what we think of as like traditionally like tv worthy cinema worthy you know these larger grander stakes or like motivations or goals but i don't know i kind of like that there is still room a little bit for these like small stories in these small places to to kind of find their way in front of an audience yeah in this kind of way but yeah i i guess it's just like different settings different backgrounds different different opinions on this yeah um it's you know what it is jenny it's not even the fact that like the stake i know that i mentioned that it the the obstacles don't feel real enough i think what i actually mean by that is that Mm -hmm. these obstacles aren't telling me anything about these characters they still like four or five episodes into it i don't really have a good grasp on each person really like there's like slight differentiators and i just want to know more about them like that's straight up what it is it's like i'm craving like you know sometimes with shows like this episode to episode we just focus on one character and that's it right and Mm -hmm. we've gotten that a lot with bear because he's our quote-unquote protagonist Mm -hmm. but the rest of the characters like i have no idea really what their deal is like elora i know that she's a little bit like you know she's she's the matriarch of it where she is getting the money together and she's making sure that everybody stays on track but the other two i don't know anything about them and maybe we'll find out that's the thing i don't want to like speak too soon i'm sure that they're probably going to fill in some of the blanks i just i really want to get to know these kids and 
I, I think what it's doing is it's preoccupied with like showcasing the, the world and showcasing the references. And I commend them for that. And I think it's awesome. Like the Indian clinic episode was amazing. I think like my main thing is that it feels like it's almost there. It kind of feels like it maybe needed another rework. It kind of feels like it's a great show next door. It's like not in the room with me. And I don't know. I don't know how to put my finger on it. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree that like totally there is information that we don't get yet. I actually don't even know yet. Like, will they even get into like the so- kind of more secondary characters of the main four? Like, will they get into I don't know. Cheese and Willie Jackmore? Yeah. Because some shows like, they just don't like they just yeah. remain as a kind of supporting cast. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure yet at this point. And yeah, I totally see where you're coming from on that front. Um, like we just learned in episode these last like couple of episodes, like, oh, Alora, you know, her mom, presumably, like it suggested she, she had a mom who, who died when she was young. Right. Um, that's something that we're just only getting as yeah. we now see Alora's motivations and her you know, her family and her history fleshed out a little bit and her vulnerabilities. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're going to get that for all these characters, although that is something that I would like to see. It's, it's, it's really hard to tell yet from these, like, you know, this kind of slow drip of episodes that exactly, haven't yeah. like fully, um, fully taken off like full, full blast yet. Yeah. And the, the main thing is that I'm sure for Sterling Harjo, it was, it was like intentional to not focus so much on the pain and just have it as something that is a part of the world of these kids. Like they are sad that their friend died. They're sad that their parents died. They're sad that, you know, whatever it might be, but they are still kind of going through day to day. Like it's not a big deal or it's not presented to us in a way that is corny, which I must commend it for. Like it, this is not a corny show. Like mm-hmm. it does not take itself too seriously, which I think is its biggest strength. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's more just that I don't, know if like the characters being unpacked is important and my main problem honestly is like i don't know what's going to happen for season two and i guess we'll find out like i said i I guess we will find out but will they go to california probably not and so then what are we gonna do the the scope of this like how many episodes are planned like how yeah, like what? I'm not sure. Like the the total like complete arc of this. Um, I guess that that that's a good question. Yeah, and maybe they they'll never go. Like I I'm almost yeah. seeing this as kind of like a you know it's like the the sort of day to day tedium with a surreal twist, which is like kind of the nature of living in this kind of environment for yeah. them. You know, blending both these like kind of older traditions or beliefs, um, these like creator myths and and all these sort of things and putting them into this, this context of this like rundown, frankly, kind of shitty, shitty little town in the middle yeah. of Oklahoma. I also see sort of a lineage with like stoner comedies and yeah, the, the, the sort of aimlessness of that. Um, I, yeah, I guess it's just like, it's maybe it fits more with, when viewed like as like part of a certain kind of uh, genre. But yeah, yeah, I totally agree that, at this point, at least, I would like to see it start picking up a little bit more with the the information that it shares and at least, like, the, the emotional stakes that it sort of raises for each of these characters. Yeah, and the, the thing is, like, he's a, f- like, Sterling Harjo is a first-time showrunner. So, mm-hmm. it's, like, something to take with a pinch of salt, I think, hopefully by season two, if it gets renewed, that he starts to, like, basically hit his stride with his writer's room and is able to really unpack and, because laying the fi- foundation 
down is is very hard. Season two of almost every show is very, very hard to figure out. So I, I wish him luck for that. But it just, it, it got me thinking a lot about like th- this weird balance of, you know, we rarely get shows like this. And so like, uh, do I feel a way about it because I really want it to be perfect? And is that my bias in terms of, you know, you don't want anybody to, you don't want to be caught slipping as someone that really wants to see shows like this. You don't want to see them be caught slipping mm-hmm. and be able to really like knock it out the park. But then at the same time, does it fucking matter? Like, who am I, what am I trying to impress? Right? Like, or who am I trying to impress? Yeah. Um, well, I guess the cold hard reality is that like some of these shows will not get renewed. Um, and that's the like thing. many shows do not get renewed or they get canceled. And that's the we've thing. seen like, yeah, like, fans and especially people who felt you know finally represented or something they they get very attached and they get very upset you know rightly or not um when these shows do eventually not make it to air anymore and the thing is like when i hear of stuff like that happening it's like i expected it not to get renewed and i understand people's shock and i understand people's like frustration and rage with with something like you know you barely get these stories and you get them and then they're not renewed it's frustrating because I watch them and it makes sense to me because it doesn't work as a story. It is not pulling in a wide audience and it doesn't mean that you can't have some, it doesn't mean that you have to cater to an audience for it to work. It means that you just weren't invested in the story and I don't know who's to blame. You know, like, I don't know if it's like, I, I mainly chalk it up to studios or networks that decide to greenlight things and don't know how to mentor or don't know how to handhold showrunners through their first shows, for example, or don't know how Mm -hmm. to give notes properly. Because as far as they're concerned, it's like a participation trophy. Like, they're doing it. They're doing the representation thing. Yeah. Um, And then they do it, and then the the, the numbers don't work out. So then they they feel it okay to cancel these shows. And then you're left with what, you know? Right. I hope this isn't that. Like, I really, really hope this isn't that. Because I have so much love for what this show is trying to be and i think my disappointment is that of like a parent almost in a way like i'm not native don't get me wrong this isn't about my community but you know we have needed something like this for so fucking long as an audience as people and especially for native communities so i just really want it to not get cancelled is <laughs> basically what this is about for me yeah i mean it's it's a really tough line to walk and you know on this question overall you know, Angelica Jade Bastian at, at Vulture, she's written a lot about this from regarding like black cinema, um, in these mm. like recent black movies and, and TV shows that have come out that, you know, many of them that she's reviewed, they're like not up to par for her. Um, it, it is this like the larger question of like, on the one hand, you know, <sighs> there are so many shows that are not created by like, in this case, like native creators that, <sighs> are granted the leeway to grow and they they're given this like luxury of being able to settle into their bones a little bit and so like why it feels like wrong all that we're like saying well creators who are not white or of whatever kind of marginalized identity like you have to get it right on this first time yeah but on the other hand also it's like shouldn't we also demand greatness or at least like pretty good quality from you know a work even if it's you know from xyz yeah kind of creator like yeah is it like fair that we can always just like give a free pass to these mediocre i'll say like crazy rich asians like that was pretty mediocre from from my point of view as like an asian american like am i 
somehow like obligated to blindly support something like that because it's quote unquote representation instead of being like, well, why can't I get like a good quality Asian American movie? So it's this like really hard line, I think, to straddle. It feels unfair either way, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. whichever way you you spin this. Yeah. Um, but again, yeah, that's the whole the whole issue with just like this uh, sort of like scarcity yeah. thing and the lack of resources overall, and people treating this as like a zero sum game exactly, and like yeah. every single chance is the last chance like yeah. uh, we'll ever get. So exactly. there's no like real good answer, I think. No, there isn't. And it's it's funny because I think that the part of the discourse that talks a lot about TV and film, like now for some reason, especially with like with Twitter culture kind of seeping into the importance of critic feedback of like morally characters have to be perfect or like the subject has to be something that isn't, you know, thorny with what with whatever theme it's trying to kind of talk about and folding like representation politics into that of like it has to be perfect like if this doesn't uh, who i don't know who tweeted it I'll, I'll find it but they were just like you know if this show doesn't meet me at exactly the intersection of identity politics and like ideology that i want then mm-hmm. it sucks and it's like right. that that kind of feels like what's going on with a lot of like representation forward tv shows where mm-hmm. it's do it's ticking all the boxes you've got you know you've got your you've got your community you've got your people you've got the things that it's talking about you've got your bisexual character you've got your lesbian character like everybody's queer and it's all having a great time but there is not one ounce of thought put into a, a story that feels like it's new Mm-hmm. And with that, what are you doing? Like, my main thing is like, why are we storytellers? You know, like as, as someone that writes, why am I saying trying to say something? Absolutely, you know, representing a part of my world, representing where I'm from. But the main thing is like, I want people that have no idea or aren't from this world to watch this and feel an empathy and feel a way of like feel something that they hadn't felt before. And that is like that storytelling. And you can do that in any given point. Like the whole anti-hero movement was like, because we were finding empathy within ourselves for like a fucking guy from New Jersey that <laughs> is a narcissist that is like killing people on the side that's an absolute criminal. But that storytelling made us feel like we understood him or that we could empathize with him. And I think that's kind of like this weird swing that we've got the other way where everybody is morally perfect and they are like the show is exactly where it needs to be for the culture right now like and that that representation feeling like it's more important than it is is my problem with it because that's not what like when it comes down to it when these shows get cancelled or five years down the line where you forget that this show even existed that's why we should have something that's a little bit more evergreen that's a little bit more legendary making do you know what i mean like these shows should be chalked up the all-time best as far as i'm concerned and that's kind of what i want i want an all-time best you know i I hope that reservation dogs gets to that point is it there right now no does it need to be no (laughs) like i do think that everybody should watch this i really really do i think it's an earnest attempt at what it's trying to do and there's no way that you should not watch it for that i i definitely think that i want to see more from this creator i want to see more from the these actors this production team the only way that's going to happen is, is unfortunately if we watch it so like i implore everybody to watch this i it, my qualms with it are just me having <laughs> like thoughts about an overall thing um but this show is really really the intentions that this show has are 
excellent. And I just want them to get to the point where they execute it also in an excellent manner. And I'm sure it will. It's just a matter of time. So yeah, and I'd say like watch it from my point of view, um, not just like for you know whatever grander goal or or reasoning for for its existence, but you know if you were I guess the kind of viewer who has a similar I don't know preference as me or we we have similar tastes, uh, I would say just just watch it because it's a it's a pretty fun show in a lot of yeah. ways and. Yeah, I, I yeah. like spending time here, and I look forward to, to seeing more from this world. And they should definitely drop the Greasy Fry Bread track on Apple Spears. That's a <laughs> fucking banger of a, banger of a song. But both the regular and the acoustic version, man. Yeah. Excellent marketing. All right, so that was me. What did you watch this week, Jenny? I will give a disclaimer. I did not actually watch this this week. I watched this back in April when this first premiered, but uh, Rutherford Falls on Peacock. So this is a sitcom. Um, again, it's on Peacock, NBC's streaming platform. Came out in April with a 10-episode first season. This is kind of a classic Michael Schur vehicle, um, also created with Ed Helms, as well as the actual showrunner Sierra Teller Ornelas. Um, she previously worked on Superstore and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, also kind of Michael Shore things. So this show, when it came out in April, it was, I think, kind of heralded for, among other things, um, even before Reservation Dogs, it was at the time one of the largest indigenous staffed uh, TV writers rooms. So half the writers were native, um, Taylor Ornelas is, is native, cast members are native, all that stuff. As for what it's about, it gets a little bit convoluted, which we'll talk about as far as it, one of its drawbacks, I think. But the show is more or less centered on two best friends, Nathan Rutherford, played by Ed Helms, and Reagan Wells, played by Jonna Schmieding, who also wrote for the show. They're in a small town named after Nathan's colonial ancestor. So Nathan is a white man. He's very passionate about his heritage and history. He runs a heritage museum in the town. Uh, Reagan is a native woman who is part of the fictional Minishanka nation. She's also very passionate about her heritage and her culture. And she runs a very kind of underfunded little museum in the local casino. Um, their friendship kind of gets thrown into question and tested when a big conflict kicks up between Nathan and the CEO of the casino, Terry played by Michael gray eyes. I love who him. he he's great in this. He's um, so hot. <laughs> Yes, also that, but um, his character, he has this plan to sue the Rutherfords and get back uh, what the Minishankara owed. He wants to ultimately invest in the community, but also primarily even uh, his casino. He is a mm. businessman through and through. So that's sort of the setup. There are a lot of sort of extra sidelines and, and characters and a little like twists and turns. It's really jam-packed, I think, often to its detriment, but... Um, the vibe is not dissimilar from Parks and Rec, if you were into that, and in that it has like small town drama. Um, you see like a lot of the residents and locals just like their utter apathy or uh, stupidity in different ways. Mm. But it's a little bit more ambitious in the issues that it's trying to tease out, and especially what it's trying to say about, you know, America as a whole, history, heritage, uh, you know, who controls, you know, what, like, wh who, who is the victor of history and, uh, as well as like reparations or what do we owe to native people whose whose land was taken yeah so 
that's all sort of wrapped up within this uh at its core kind of sitcom dramedy sort of vibe so tell me Pellin, how far along are you in the show i am episode four mm-hmm. i just finished episode four it's okay, taking, you it, might have a clear memory on everything that happens than I do, to be honest. Yeah, it's honestly, it's been a bit of a chore to watch it, I've got to say. Yeah. I do I enjoy that. Reagan a lot. Like, yeah. I think she's awesome. I love spending time with her, and every scene that she's in is the best. Yeah. Um, she is the star, yeah. for sure. As much as, like, Ed Helms' character, he definitely gets more screen time, a little bit more... Just, yeah, just more space devoted to his backstory and mm-hmm. his motivations. But Reagan, for sure, is, like, the heart of the show. She's, like, just a very warm, sympathetic character. And yeah. it does a smart telling of her story and how she's sort of at conflict and at tension with um, being split between her loyalty to her best friend and then her loyalty to um, her community, many of whom actually hate her for various reasons. Mm. So. I like that, but it is, it is a bit of a chore to get through, I would say. I totally agree with you on that. I don't like Nathan being the sort of centerpin of the show. Yeah. It's very quintessential Ed Helms. He plays this kind of character over and over. Um, yeah. We saw a similar version in Together Together, which uh, you, just, you talked about for a recent episode, Melon, mm-hmm. and all of that is, like, of course, linked to his character on The Office. Um, it's all this similar kind of, of white guy who yeah. is, maybe he has a good heart, he has a heart of gold somewhere, but it's hidden ben- beneath all of this really just like insufferable personality and kind of self-centered focus on himself. Yeah, He's played with some sympathy here, but there, there's just so much, way too much attention given to everything that he's going got going on with his life and his own interior struggles, um, yeah. when I'm frankly just not very interested in a lot of that yeah i'll say also like a you know speaking of like the storytelling and not looking forward to watching this another reason i would identify is like the pacing definitely drags Mm. um yeah but at the same time it's kind of overstuffed you know as you progress there are so many turns and like alliance forming and backstabbing that it sort of retreats similar ground, um, but like slightly rejiggers us certain certain ways. Um, but it's just sort of jam-packed with stuff while at the same time it feels like not much is happening. Yeah. Which is kind of the worst of both worlds from yeah. a storytelling point of view. Yeah. So it's like both it's both packed but also tedious. So that is not really working for this. And as I mentioned at the end of this this first season. Uh, we focus almost exclusively on Nathan's crisis and the plot becomes truly even more impossible to follow. So these are all sort of weaknesses that I would attribute to, in part to um, this being the showrunner's kind of first, you know, show that she's leading and heading up, which is maybe a similar thing you found for Reservation Dogs. Yes. Yeah. I will say also, I did not find it very funny despite yeah. it being billed as a sitcom or yeah. a dramedy of sorts. The first episode is great. A lot of laughs packed into that. Um, yeah. And then I don't think I cracked one smile after that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough, man. It's tough. And this is, again, like what we were talking about, I think, as creatives of color, as people from like marginalized communities, you what you get, you feels like this is your first shot, your only shot, maybe, mm-hmm. at creating something like this. So you, you want to say it all. You want to like get as much in there as you can. I'm not saying that this is what this is doing, but. Like it, it's trying to say something about like a Native and American friendship 
it's trying to say something about two communities trying to coexist. And then it's also trying to say something about capitalism and how you can, as a native person, kind of function within this essentially racist system of capitalism. Yeah. I thought that aspect was the the strongest presented. I in agree. This. I completely like, agree. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like so as we see through this character Terry, again like the the casino CEO, a capitalist to like capital C, he is ruthless in his ambition, which is like both self-serving but also through his conviction it that he's what he's doing is good for his community and all of his people. You can see that he is like purely after profit for himself, but also for the ultimate advancement of his people in his his point of view. Yeah, which is the, the yeah I think the most interesting question. It reminds me a little bit of, of gentified or, or handified, whatever what, whatever you want to call it. We which you talked about earlier again, like how do you function within this larger world that is you know dictated by these certain rules by this framework of like profit and survival yeah. while also trying to you know still ma- maintain this piece of community that is so important to to you and your background and your family and everyone around you like at what point are you betraying that community what point are you helping that community what yeah. point is yeah like how do you untangle all the different tensions there are that fit yeah. within like having to operate in this certain way while also you know, this is a system that ultimately helped uh, fuck everyone over in your community. Yeah. And it's something that I think the chair tries to tackle as well in terms of like, you know, the the classic Audre Lord quote of like, the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house. Like, it's basically that, right? Um, mm. Yeah, it's, uh, again, it's it's interesting. And I think it's interesting to see it through him. And I kind of wish we spent a little bit more time with that yeah terry is like a very interesting character and also as we said michael gray eyes he is fantastic in this he is so so he's like just like so charismatic yeah i really wish i mean maybe if there were more of him we would feel it's overkill but at Mm -hmm. the time like he's definitely he's stealing every single scene that he's in yeah extremely star like (laughs) like (laughs) very very sad that he isn't up there with like the brad pitts and the leonardo dicaprios of of our you know acting time but oh totally that's just because of you know racism so he has been getting some more like uh interviews and photo shoots recently Mm. and i will say if you look at any of them fantastic yeah he is a very beautiful man very very beautiful yeah (laughs) very very big daddy energy um yeah but yeah so this show is like my feelings uh, towards it are are quite complicated i i'd say mixed for sure it was like often a chore to get through i don't even remember i'd say a good 30 to 40 percent of what happens because it seems like there's so much inconsequential kind of turning here twisting there that just like stuffed it to the gills with stuff that i don't think it really needed but i admire i guess the ambition with which they're approaching this how they're trying to tell a more complicated stories about native characters and like what they grapple with in this you know their role within the community but also broader uh society and system i think ultimately i come out a little bit more positive than negative i think i would watch a season two and it has been renewed for season two so i think i would watch it yeah and hopefully it would it's better the second time around um He's hoping from, like, the story f- fundamental point of view. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. Would you would you finish uh, the season? Do you think? Yeah, yeah. I'll finish it. 
It's it's just it makes me nervous because I think <laughs> I think like you'd think that a showrunner in a writer's room gets a little bit more comfortable and then is able to just kind of relax, I think, mm. um, off the pressure of making it through season one. But season two's notoriously hard. Very, yeah. very hard um yeah. to figure out. So here's hoping. I would like to give a huge shout out to Bobby. Bobby Yang. <laughs> he's actually my, f- I think in terms of comedy, he's the one that I, uh, I think he's the most consistent in terms of like, he's actually pretty funny. Um, yeah. So shout, this is, shout uh, out to Jesse Na- Lee. Nathan's, Nathan's assistant. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, a hilarious example of like an overachieving assistant that's just trying to basically, uh, he's onto bigger things. You know, he, he's definitely onto bigger things and he's trying to like knock this assistant job out the park so that it looks good on his resume. And, um, absolutely unpaid intern like huge vibes yeah yeah over <laughs> overachieving american unpaid intern <laughs> just <laughs> just so eager all the time but yeah so maybe check the show out if you are interested in what it's trying to say as like a broader picture but yeah it it might take a little bit of sitting to to get through mm. but hopefully it will improve as as every show that we talk about hopefully they all improve yes hopefully we pray we are rooting for the both of them So this week for culture, we are talking about, I guess, a little bit of controversy slash discourse that has been happening. So Alison Herman, friend of the pod, she wrote this really great summary, I guess, like uh, overall analysis and summary of what's been going on with Ted Lasso, which has in as she writes in her headline, she said it has become a real lightning rod. Uh, in discourse this time around for its second season. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of difficult season twos. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, so we'll link the the piece which is on the ringer um, in our show notes and and things like that. But more or less, I guess the TLDR is that Ted Lasso has always been a little bit contentious. I think in certain circles on Twitter, you know, what the debate of whether or not it is basically is it trash or not, and I think the conversation is really ramped up with the second season because the second season i think most people would agree is noticeably weaker than the first season mm. which we both enjoyed pellin if i'm rem- yes. remembering correctly yeah and so now there's this kind of conversation over overall um mostly on twitter again but it's spilled over into the press which is like why is the show attracting so many strong opinions one way or another people are going crazy defending it mm-hmm. and being like you know let people enjoy what they enjoy but people also like really coming after it in a way that is surprising for a show that's so like kind of low stakes like this but it has like become a bigger part of culture i think which is what it's att- attracting this like very loyal defense but also these offensive attacks against it yeah it's it's a real mess and I, I wanted to talk to you about this film because it's really interesting, I think, in in what it's saying about, I guess, where we're at. Like, what are we asking from a from a TV show at this point in culture? Yeah. So as a writer, I can speak to this a little bit in terms of like really getting into the weeds of why I think people are turning off of it. Mm-hmm. Every character should have a want. There should be, especially with regards to your protagonist, they should want something. So Ted yeah. should really really want and and have obstacles in the way of whatever it is that he's trying to get. The reason why season one worked is because he was new and he really wanted to fit in and he really wanted to gain acceptance from this team. 
And he and there were like clear obstacles. Very so many clear obstacles in the way of that. Season two, we don't have any of it. And what ends up happening is you can maybe get away with a couple of episodes, but once you realize that that season arc, because that's the way you tend to write a season, is like there needs to be a season long want of a protagonist. You that season long want should also be represented in each episode, and then in each episode it should be represented in each scene. To the point where, like, everything that the protagonist is saying almost is related to this one. We don't have that. We don't have it. And because I think what, whether or not people are aware of it, that's what they're picking up on. They are craving yeah. that want. They, they want to be communicated that want. They want, they want it, they want to see the obstacles. They want to see the protagonist overcome these obstacle obstacles or be faced with never being able to overcome them, whatever it is. So it's mainly that. And I know that like Alison wrote about conflict, that the conflict arises from the obstacle to the want, right? So mm-hmm. that's what we are struggling with. Um, I think what has ended up happening between season one and season two, this is Apple's crown jewel, I would say, yeah. in terms of the show that really has knocked it out of the park for them. It's something that almost everybody watches, which is nuts, like in terms of like a pretty expensive streaming service. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think what Apple is struggling with is they heeded the, the feedback that they got from season one, where it's a show about kindness. It's a show about a family. It's a show about like, a nice mm. protagonist that genuinely means well is like the he- the actually hero like not even anti hero there's nothing anti about him and then they were like let's just focus on that do more of that yeah and unfortunately <laughs> that is not something that you center your season around um that's yes. just something that is the reason why i find it interesting is it's actually like i'm kind of proud of the audience for picking up on that and i'm proud of like people being like what is going on like i'm watching this what am i feeling i feel a little bit aimless i feel and it's like oh good like you're you're maybe you don't know how to put your words to it but you are conscious of the fact that there is something missing because there is right there's very little tension going on there's not you there's not one sense of like an overall you know narrative push that's driving this forward i mean like the fucking christmas episode it's just so so throwaway and yeah maybe it is like as allison identifies in her piece she's like part of that is because we're going on a week by week basis like we get this mm. so drip and so each episode gets examined and it's like okay still nothing happened happening in this um yeah so it kind of prolongs and stretches out this overall sense of like uh there's really not much going on here like narratively or even as far as like development for ted you know we're led to believe that the main thing that's going to differentiate the season is the appearance of this therapist and like how he kind of bristles at this therapist's uh, intrusion more or less on his team. But yeah. that, that doesn't even come up in every single episode and let alone every single scene. That's, that's like yeah. ugh, so background to everything that's going on. Yeah. It's, um, it's something that Anderson identified, which is that it isn't that there isn't conflict. It's just that they don't know how to capitalize off of it. So each, yes. each, each character has something going on for themselves. Not each character, but like almost the main characters the do main, have yeah, something going people. on, but we stride past it. Like we literally, it feels like we're doing like, uh, window shopping and we're just speed walking through the mall, you know, like, yeah, it, totally. like it's just, it's, it's so. 
I wouldn't say it's upsetting because it's never that serious, but it's just like, oh, come on, man. Like, I, I would have. It's frustrating. It is very frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Like, I enjoyed the latest episode that came out where, spoiler alert, something happens to, to Ted um, at the end of the latest episode. And it's like, it, it kind of feels like finally, like we've mm-hmm. arrived. And it's because it ends on this thing that has happened. And then that makes me feel like, oh, so then in the next couple of episodes, we can really get into it. And I hope they really get into it, man. I hope it isn't something that's just like resolved in the 10 minutes of one episode. I don't know, dude. I I think it's so, don't get me wrong. There are points where it's funny. Like, I think I just wish uh, some of the writing focused more on those conflicts or focused more on the, the wants of the characters um, totally. just as much as it worries uh, you know that it worries about the dialogue because i think the dialogue yeah. is great so yeah i mean in season one one of the things that we liked was that this main conflict this thing that the whole thing had been driving towards you know where rebecca finally reveals to ted like you know i've been trying to screw you all over for the entire time yeah. we liked that it kind of was surprising in how it was resolved yeah. where ted was like you know, it's okay. I forgive you within the span of like five minutes. Yeah. And at the time, it seemed like so, not to say revolutionary, that's a fucking stupid way to describe this, but it felt so surprising yeah. at least. Yeah. But here we've had like five instances already of just like conflict coming to a head and then it's just like yeah. uh, resolved. Yeah. And once you have that repetition and you've used this trick so many times, it's no longer surprising. It's no longer Novelle. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah it becomes this this tired kind of norm. Yeah, it's it's interesting just seeing seeing the discourse around it. Right. I've seen some fucking god awful takes too. Oh, like yeah. I, there's one um <laughs> one person said like okay, the reason all of you don't like are like shitting on Ted Lasso now is obviously because the first season it centered a white man and you loved that. And now oh, in the second season god. that they're going into like having episodes about some of the women characters that like some of the uh, characters of color obviously you hate that so that's why See, this you is, know people are shitting on them this now. is my entire beef with it <laughs> like this is why none of you deserve this like take away your twitter accounts it yeah. like it's not that simple it's not that cut and dry obviously but yeah the the bad takes have been everywhere hasn't there been one where it was like you don't like it because it's about a woman getting head like it showed a scene of, oh my like, god of a woman yeah, getting head and you don't want to see that Oh, honey! That was another one. Grow up. What do you think this is? We're all yeah. we're all we're all very comfortable with the concept of getting ahead. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it, uh, yeah. I mean, we we need the discourse vaccine ASAP as well. Yeah. So <laughs> these people need these people need saving. Yes. And I guess with that, we will prepare to sign off. But uh, we wanted to give one note. We are off next week. We are off next week. It's Labor Day weekend in the US. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, we fucking need a vacation. So. Yeah. Yeah. Take time off. Watch whatever TV, movies you like. Catch up on our backlog. Yeah. There's uh, a lot coming out in the next couple of weeks. So you guys better be doing your homework. <laughs> yeah. So. This fall is going to be packed. Um, I'm so excited. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the meantime... If you discover anything that you think that we should check out, please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or you can DM us uh, on Instagram or Twitter or just add us. Check out our show notes and extended show notes on criticismisdead.substack.com. Basically, we summarize and link to everything that we've been talking about and then maybe add some bonus tweets. Um, Otherwise, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform 
of choice. Just five stars. Five stars only. Thank you. Um, tell someone about us if you want. I don't know. We You, you already know all this stuff, yeah. but it never hurts. Um, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I guess have a nice long weekend, hopefully, for those of you who do. And see you next next week. Pick up a book. Read it. Put the phone <laughs> Yes, <down>. that too. <laughs> that too. All right, guys. Bye. Criticism Instead is produced by Padding Keskin and Jenny Chichon. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu.